Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. That's really it by way of analysis. I'm into the teach today. We're starting a new series uh, and the Christmas at Soma is kind of a season for us, but you'll see love, joy, peace there right underneath that. And we're kicking off a series this month and next month and fruits of the spirit. So Galatians five is where we're going to be. And I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you today. Okay. So if you don't, if you're not a note taker, normally I would just encourage you to take notes today, primarily for all the passages of scripture that I'm throwing at you. You can go back and spend some time on your own. Um, I love Christmas, Christmas, my favorite time of the year. Anybody else? Christmas is your jam. It's like your favorite time of the year. You're like, you listen to Christmas music in October. You're those people, right? So, um, yes. So I love it. All the things. I love the smells. I love the sights. I love the sounds, the music. And even though it's like, even though it's Christmas music and get old, you know, like I love the mu- the movies. I love all the things. I even love, um, I even, I love eggnog. Who else loves eggnog in here? Come on. Who's really saved? Raise your hand. Yes. Uh, eggnog people. But I love all the things about Christmas. One thing, the older I get, that can be frustrating with this time of year is the amount of stress, anxiety. Oh my goodness. Like how can we fit it all in? You got a limited budget, a limited calendar, you know, the expectations that other people have on you. You feel like you're letting people down or you're just a little bit stressed out. If you're not careful, you will miss the magic, you will miss the moment if you're not careful. Um, and it's like that moment where you're all riding to go get your picture taken for your Christmas card as a family. You're like fussing each other out the whole way there and that whole morning, you know what I mean? And you get there, you get there to take that picture and you're like, smile. Everybody smile. We got to send this to everybody we know. You know, we're happy. You know, so it's, it's that moment. And so, um, but it, it can be stressful time of year. So I want to practically give us some things that I think we can apply um, if we'll really let God work on us uh, in this season, that'll give you over to a greater love for people. It'll cultivate love in you. It'll cultivate joy in you. It'll cultivate peace. And, uh, and it's nothing that I've like made up or nothing that's new. It's really just the Bible. But I want to, I want to talk about what Paul has to say about Galatians five and, uh, in this series and this season, we're going to be talking about overflow, the things that are in us come out good and bad. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. This is what the apostle Paul says in Galatians five thirteen through 14. He says, you, my brothers and sisters were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And so Paul starts off this fruits of the spirit talk by saying, Hey, listen, you're freed up in Christ. You're not held to a bunch of hoops to jump through, a bunch of legal obligations, a bunch of rules for the sake of rules, but in Christ you're free. And here's what you do with that freedom. Leverage it to serve one another and love one another. And so uh, the Apostle Paul, when he writes this letter to the church in Galatia, Acts 13 and 14 tells us that Paul sent to be a missionary to Asia Minor. He helps to start this church, this group of people who are like today is central Turkey. 
So they had no context. They were not Jewish. They were not followers of God. They were not Hebrew people. They didn't have the Torah or the Old Testament. They didn't know a thing in the world about Jesus. And Paul rolls up and just like drops the gospel on them. People respond. Get there like, that's the best news I've ever heard in my life. It's crazy. So people respond. He establishes the church. They're rolling. And then he writes this letter to the church in Galatia. And in this letter, he addresses, now there's a new group of people who've come in. Who, who really do, they're, they're followers of Jesus, they love Jesus, but they're also Pharisees, they're also experts in the law, they're Jewish by culture, right? There's a group of people who come in and say, hey man, it's not about freedom, it's about keeping the rule. You gotta, you gotta like make sure that you're keeping all the rules, you gotta make sure that you're like you're doing the things. Don't do these things, do these things, that's what it means to follow Jesus. And Paul says, no, and uh, he, he calls them out, he's like, that's wrong. Salvation is not about rule following. Salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus, not by works, not by merit, not by anything that we bring to it. Paul's educating everybody. And he's saying, listen, the law has its place, but the Messiah has come. Resurrection has happened. Freedom is available. Eternal life is available, not based on my ability or my good works or my merit, but based on what Jesus has done. And Paul says, in Jesus, you're freed from the Old Testament law. Use your freedom living for God. And with the spirit of God living in you, he uses this phrase in this passage, keep in step with the spirit. We're going to keep reading. It says this in verses 16 through 18. So I say, walk by the spirit, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit and the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. You know, those moments where you're like, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what I'm supposed to say. I know where I'm supposed to go. I know what I'm supposed to like expose myself to. I know who I'm supposed to be. And yet, ah, like I can't in my own strength, in my own power, in my own flesh, like make myself not, not do a certain thing or be a certain way. And, And it's the struggle if you're trying to follow Jesus in your own strength. And so Paul says, Hey, your flesh and your spirit, they're in conflict with each other. You're not to do whatever you want. Don't do whatever you want, whenever you want. Don't be selfish. He says, but if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The spirit of God gives us freedom. And so Paul says, uh, you know, some people are taking it too far. Some people take it to the place of legalism where it's the, it's rules for the sake of rules. Again, don't do these bad things. Do these good things. Good luck. That's kind of like what certain people, that's their approach to the Christian life is a horrible way to approach it. And then Paul says, there's another group of people that, it's, they, that the pendulum swings on the opposite direction. Hey, it's not about rule following. Hey, it's not about legalism. Hey, you know what? Just do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. Paul's like, no, that's not exactly right either. So it's like, what is it? He says, walk by the spirit. Yeah, you, you're freed from this Old Testament require, this legalism require, but now, guess what? In Christ, you're freed to what? Love one another, serve one another. Now there's a new law, which is Jesus. That's the law. The new law, the new surrender, the new, really, slavery, it comes under Christ. I'm supposed to give my life over to him and let him lead. Walk by the Spirit is what Paul says. Keep going, verse 19. He says this, this is what the flesh looks like. The acts of flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And then he says, and the like, which is to say all the other things that I haven't mentioned. So he gives us this list, what I've already hit you like five times with that list. But then he's like, if it didn't fit in that list, there's all kinds of other things. And he says, this is what the flesh looks like. And we know that because as I read some of those things, 
things for some of you, you were like, Ooh, that's mine. Right. And so uh, he says, this is what the flesh looks like. And he says, I warn you as I did before that those who who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul's just giving commentary and he's saying, listen, if this is the fruit of your life, if, the, if this is what your life looks like, fits of rage and selfishness and idolatry and uh, debauchery. In fact, if, if this is what's coming out of you, it's a good indication of where your heart is and where you're at when it comes to relationship with God. And so he says, hey, um, whatever is in you comes out, you bear fruit. And so uh, he goes on to tell us what it should look like as followers of Christ. He says this in verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. Man, that lines up so nice for Advent. Patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We'll hit the other fruits at the beginning of the year. But he says, against such things, there is no law. There's no law against these things. Man, if you're, if you're operating in kindness, if you're operating in joy, if you're operating in love, there's no rules to that. Like, he just said, you're freed up to like, to, you know, if you're operating in those. So those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. And I think that's the key for the followers of Jesus. If you're like me, sometimes it can be frustrating to follow Jesus. Like I want to do the right thing. I want to be godly. I want to be like Jesus and, and I've come alive in Christ. And so, um, he said, he uses this phrase. He says, since we live by the spirit, since I've come alive by the spirit. And then he says, now, now here's the, here's the key walk in step with the spirit. Don't run ahead trying to do things in your own strength. Definitely don't lag behind, uh, you know, missing out on the, the more that God has for us. So when we read Galatians 5, we've got to be careful not to see a list of things to do and not to do. Which is primarily sometimes in my, I would say the, the bulk of my Christian life, I've lived my Christian life up until really the past few years. Um, thinking of following Jesus in terms of these are things, don't do these things. And these are things, do these things. I'm just, I'm being fully transparent. You're like, man, past few years, you're a pastor. I know, I know, right? And so like, I'm going to free you up. Like it's not about not doing certain things or doing certain things, but allowing God to work in you and allowing, allowing God's power to work in you to do what you can't do in your own strength. And so, um, and when we read Galatians five, we've got to realize that the key understanding of what Paul is saying is that those perceived virtues like love and joy and peace and patience, those are, those are not virtues except character traits of God to begin to put on. So as, I, as I'm in a relationship with Jesus, right, as I surrender my life to him and then I'm led by the spirit, God's love, God's joy, God's peace, it's not natural in and of me. It's just not. Anybody that knows me really well knows naturally. This is not me. So, but God's love is supernatural love. God's joy is supernatural joy. God's peace is supernatural. And it's accessible to us as followers of Jesus. It's not don't do these things, do these things. It is coming alive. It's like the tree metaphor that, so Paul says, he says, hey, bear fruit, right? And he uses this whole passage to talk about fruit. And anybody that knows anything about trees, about plants, like if, if it's, you know, if it's doing well and it's alive, it's producing fruit, it's producing seed, it's multiplying, it's doing the thing it was made to do. And if it's not, if it's dead, it definitely ain't producing fruit, right? And if it's not doing well, the fruit that it's producing is not healthy either. And there's this pruning process for people who are into this, for people who are into plants and trees and all this kind of stuff. You have to cut 
dead growth. Uh, you cut it off so that you can create some new growth and some healthy growth. And this is what Paul, he says, this is what it's supposed to look like as we follow Jesus. And so for the apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians, it was not about performance. It wasn't about a performance that we can achieve, but it was more about the person that we can become. And that's, that's the next two months. That's what we're focused on. So today in this Advent season, I want to talk about the first of the fruits that Paul lists, which is love. What is love? And Paul, who gives us this list in Galatians 5, also defines for us what love is in 1 Corinthians 13. You've heard this at a wedding a hundred times, but I'm going to read it. It's not about a wedding. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there's prophecies, they're going to cease. Where there's tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, all that knowledge will pass away. Love doesn't pass away. Love exists into eternity. It never fails. And so um, when we read that passage of scripture as followers of Christ, like it, it's great at a wedding. You know, when you put that thing on a program, it's awesome. Yeah. Like, you know, let's give vows to one another, whatever. When you read that and you actually dissect that passage, we go, no way, dude, there's no way. There's no way. And the reason why when we read that and we struggle so hard is because we're thinking about like our ability to love people well, or we're thinking about the people that we love. Are you kidding me? Like, yes, I am easily angered. Are you kidding me? I actually do keep a record of wrongs. You know what I mean? Like you're thinking about like your spouse or your kids or your parents or your friends or whatever. We're primarily focused on people and our ability to love those people. Um, but your parent and your kids and your spouse they are not love. God is. So we're focused primarily on the wrong thing. Love exists because it's a part of his character. And as we follow Jesus, we begin to put off more of the old self and to put on love and what's in us comes out of us and people see the difference. Um, we struggle sometimes to know what love really is and really to define it. And I know Paul gave that definition, but there was a group of a hundred professionals. that did this. It went viral where they asked kids what love is. Because they wanted kids' perspective. Hey, these kids aren't jaded yet. They're not bitter. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're innocent. They, they're kind of wide-eyed about the world. And, the, and, and so let's ask them what love is. And here's what they had to say. This is Rebecca, age eight. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Billy, age four, said, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Let's pray. Let's close in prayer. You know what I mean? Like, it's so good. This is Carl, age five. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. Spirit needs to do some work in Carl. You know what I'm saying? Chrissy, Chrissy, age six. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. Hey, that, that'll preach right there. Terry, age four. Love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Bobby, age eight. Love is what's in the room at Christmas if you stop opening presents and just listen. Nika, age six. 
If you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend who you hate. Marianne, age four. Love is when your puppy licks your face, even after you left him alone all day. I heard, uh, this is a great story. This is a, this application. So if you want to figure out who loves you, right? Who loves you more, your dog or your spouse? Lock both of them in the trunk of the car all day. Come home and let them out and see which one's happy to see you. You know what I'm saying? That's, but it's so true. Lo- dogs love better than Christians do a lot of times. So, and then Mark, age six. I love this one. Love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. And then Jessica, age eight, last one. You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, say it a lot. People forget. And uh, it's just so powerful to hear kids' perspective on on love. And it's a big deal to God. This is the reason why God tells us, by the way, that we should have a childlike faith. It's because sometimes for us as adults, we get busy and it's hard for us to access that perspective. But it's not for a kid. It's not hard for a kid. Take a kid to a playground. They don't even know who they're playing with. I was like, that's my best friend. Like we just like, you know, and we grow up and we get, you know, we get a little warped, get a little jaded, get a little bit more broken. And so it's, it's nice to just go to the source sometimes and just see, Hey, what does it mean to have that childlike faith? But love is a big deal to God. It's a big deal to God. And if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, we got to follow him in loving others. It's primary. As a matter of fact, every other fruit of the spirit is driven by this one. If you can't, you can't have joy or peace if you're not loving people. And if you don't know how much you're loved, you just can't. This is the reason why Paul starts with it. It's the reason why he, he references this twice in this passage versus every other fruit of the spirit. And so, um, in, in 1 John 2, there's a couple passages I want to throw at you just to kind of make this come alive more. 1 John, matter of fact, if you have time this week, just read 1 John. But 1 John 2, 9 through 10, it says this, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. So again, all of the law consolidated in this, love each other. And if you are loving each, if you're really loving each other, based on the way that Paul defined it in 1 Corinthians 13, if you really are patient, if you really are kind, if we really don't keep a record of wrongs, if we're really forgiving, if if we're really loving people the way that we're called to, it says, hey, you can't stumble. There's nothing to trip you up when you're loving people the way that God's called us to. Matthew 22, 30, 35 through 40, an expert of the law comes and asks Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. Love God primarily. And out of the overflow of that, uh, you begin to love others. This is the first commandment. And then the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself, but you can't do that if you don't love God. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Fall in love with God as you realize how much you're loved by him. And here's another thing. You can't, I didn't even hit this in the first first, uh, service today. But I really can't love God until I realize how much he loves me. He loves me first. He loves me first. And then out of my realization of how much I've loved, it gives me capacity to love others. Out of the overflow of that love that God has for me and for you, you begin to love him more. And out of the overflow that you have for God, it begins to get on the people around you. 
So the Bible, there's, there's four, a couple, there's a few ways that the Bible describes love and, and these, cause you and I use the word love and it just kind of a blanket statement, but biblically there's a bunch of different angles on love. So I'm going to give you some original language that we see in the text and they all mean different things. We don't think of it this way cause we use English, but uh, in the Greek it's this storge is natural affection, natural affection. Phileo is friendship, which is, uh, is where we get the term Philadelphia city of brotherly love. Uh, so your friends and, and then Eros is physical attraction. So Eros is where we also get the word erotic. And we're thinking in terms, primarily we think in terms of like sexual attraction, but it also just means like chocolate, like, you know, like a, physically attracted, right? I'm attracted to these things. We're drawn to them. And then this is what the Bible says. Whenever God's describing his love for us and our love for others, the term is this agape and it means unconditional love. It means unconditional love. Uh, and, and we know it means unconditional. My argument is that it means unconditional based on what I see in scripture. Um, primarily like Romans five, a is a great example. One of my favorite passages, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when you were at your best, not when you were good, not when you were godly, not when you were in right relationship, not when you were the most loving version of yourself. When you were at the worst, that's when Jesus died in your place. God's love made manifest in Christ, put on display. This is how much I love you. And you're the most broken you've ever been. You're not in right relationship. You're so far. Uh, it is the thief on the cross. It is a guy who, who has no merit, who has done nothing, who literally is being murdered for the life that he's lived, looks over at Jesus and says, remember me when you're in paradise. And Jesus says, hey, you're going with me. Your faith has saved you. Not his works, not his good behavior, definitely. And so it's this unconditional love. Agape is intentional and unconditional expression that chooses to do something caring or helpful regardless of the cost or the consequences to oneself. In other words, love is not a feeling. Like, you know, we, I've, we've sat down with like couples for premarital counseling and things like that. And depending on context and background and worldview, people kind of come into that space thinking about marriage in terms of covenant commitment, thinking about it in terms of kind of a romantic notion or a feeling or an emotive or whatever. And we're like, no, 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 no. It, it will not like the feelings come and go. It is not primarily a feeling. Love has feelings. It has feelings, but it's not a feeling. It's serving and laying down your agenda. It's getting up. A great example. Uh, a couple months ago, Solomon, uh, a three-year-old, he just woke up in the middle of the night. It was like two or three in the morning, just threw up everywhere. You know what I mean? Just like bed, floor, everywhere. He's in there crying. And, um, and mom jumps up out of bed, goes in there. She's gone for a while. Didn't know he was sick until she got back. And, and she's gone for such a long time, freaked out. I go in there she's sitting, hold him in on, on a beanbag in his, his room. She's already changed the bed, already cleaned him up, already bathed him, already sitting down, just holding him. He's like breathing all over. Her. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, he threw up. And I'm like, I know. And you're holding, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm like, he's breathing, you know, like, and I'm like, clean him up. Sure. Get him settled whatever. But she's, but, but her love just makes her want to hold him. 
And, and, uh, and, and uh, that's what it does for us when we set aside our preferences and our comfort. And uh, it, it's sacrificial. It's fundamentally a verb. Love is giving a person what they need, not what they deserve. Oh, man. Thank Jesus. We, we serve a God who doesn't give us what we deserve, but what we need. And this is what it means to follow Christ. It's not about knowing more things. It's, it's not about um, it, knowing more of scripture, more facts, more figures, and, and that has its place, and it's amazing, but it's not about that. It's about uh, falling in love with God, realizing how much you're loved, and then that love transforms you. Really, really, time with God, prayer life, Bible time, some of the things that we get frustrated with, because we, listen, if you read the Bible out of obligation, it's not, it you're missing it. If you read the Bible just solely for information, and we know this based on the Old Testament, like a, and even New Testament, Pharisees roll up. They know all the things. It was like, don't really matter. So if you're reading it for information purposes only, you're missing it. If you're reading it only for edification, you could be, you could be really into it and be like, oh, this is so cool. I know people who spend their, they will spend their whole life studying scripture and not be in real relationship with God because it's edifying. It's fun. It's like, yeah, this is cool. I like it. But if you're reading it solely for that, but if you read it for transformation, that's, that's what I know people that come to our church sometimes and they'll look at me and they'll be like, I really want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper, which means they just want to be confused. That's what it means. Like I want to know more original language. I want more, which is great. Do all that. But deeper is the application of really, have you already applied what you know? The answer is no, by the way, have you already applied what you know? Okay, that's deeper. Like, do the things that we know God's asking us to do. And again, get informed, get educated, seek the things of God. But it's primarily about realizing how much you're loved. And when I realize how much God loves me, I begin to love him more. And, And certain things that were a duty or a responsibility or an obligation all of a sudden become a delight. Uh, when, when I realize how much I'm loved. And so uh, this is John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus says, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, really key, really key part of this passage. <laughs> Again, not, not based on what you think love is, but as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. How? If you love one another. What's in you comes out of you. And everyone looks at it and goes, that's different. The way you serve, the way you sacrifice, the way you lay down your agenda, the way you're patient, the way you're kind, the way. And again, it's not, it's not you free yourself up. Cause you're like, I'm not that good. You're not, it's not you. It's God in you coming out of you. So it's, it's, this is what Jesus says. This is what it means to be my disciple. And so everybody up to this point, you're hearing me talk about the fruit of the spirit, love, God doing a work in you so it can come off of you. And everybody's like, okay, awesome. I'm so, I'm sold. Like love really, really key part of following Christ. How do I do it? Cause I'm not good at it. How do I do it? Um, and, and the, the struggle that we have is that we're trying to do it in our own strength and you're doing it primarily thinking about the people that are hard to love. I want you to think about the people right now in your life that are hard to love done. You already know. You're like, I got boom, 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 boom. Like I keep a short list of, you know, like I, the friend, the neighbor, the coworker, the family member who wrote you off, the spouse who did you dirty, like any of the, like, think about the people that are really hard for you to love. Right. And it's because you're thinking primarily about the people rather than God. 
but it's not a people issue. It's a God issue. If I'm, if I'm having trouble with people, it's primarily not, it's because I'm focused on the wrong thing. This is first John four, seven through eight. John, he says this, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Super key. Where does it come from? From God. Right, what about my unbelieving friends? What about people who don't follow Jesus? What about people who don't ascribe to the same faith? It don't matter. It still comes from God. If you tap into truth, it's still truth. It doesn't matter. You know, so it, it comes from God. Everyone who loves us has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So I love this part of the passage. It says, love comes from God. It doesn't come from the other people. It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from my feelings. It doesn't come from other people's performance. It comes from God. And if you're having a hard time loving someone, uh, you may be trying to love them without getting it from the source. Like you need agape love for people that are hard to love. You just need God's supernatural love. And, and, and you realize how much you're loved. You begin to love him better and you begin to love others. It says this in this passage. It says, if you're born again, um, it says, everyone who loves has been born of God. That looks like salvation. And that's the moment when you realize who you are in relationship to who Jesus is. And it's, if, if, if you've had that moment, and many of you have had that moment, if not all of you, but I'm saying many of you have had that moment, um, you realize how much it just feels like, man, I'm so loved and so undeserving of this love. And, and, but then it goes on and it says, it says, uh, everyone who loves has been born of God, but then it says, and knows God. And this word knows, we use this here at Soma. We talk about our, our, really our mission is to know God, find freedom, discover purpose and make a difference. It primarily starts with knowing him, which is a personal relationship. It's konosko in the original language, which means an intimate knowledge of not knowing things about, but we're in relationship. So for some of you who have come to faith in Christ, but you've drifted over the course of your, uh, like following Jesus and you just feel like you're in a hard season, Kenosko, get intimate, get personal, get back in relationships, spend time, talk, pray, ask God to speak to you. And he, you draw close to him. He'll draw close to you is what the Bible tells us. And so love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God and whoever does not know God, uh, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Uh, because when you know him, it changes you. It changes you. God is love. And then it gets on the inside and it begins to come out and people notice the difference in your life. When you're, when the fruits of the spirit, when you begin to like cultivate the fruits of the spirit. So you're focused on realizing how much you're loved, focus on loving him so that you can better serve and love others. It just changes you and it gives you over to like a supernatural strength. Things that you never would think to do in your own power, God gives you over to it. I'm gonna give you an example. Um, we've got a, a leader here who's a part uh, of what we do as a church and Connor does all of our graphics, anything that we do from a graphic standpoint, screens, digital, all the printed material you guys have. But he has a, he has a business that he has locally here and um, he has two business partners and they, um, they do print and design and all this kind of stuff. And uh, a few weeks ago, one of his business partners, Stephen, was in the Middle East. He was serving as serving in missions. And um, 
And so he would come, do local meetings, and he'd go back over and serve overseas. And then a few weeks ago, him and his wife were riding in their car, and he had three SUVs pull up, two on either side, one behind. And then um, he was shot four times and died, and his wife lived. Um, his kids were at home, and um, and it like blew my mind that we had like we you know we were this close to someone who who had, who just experienced that. He was in Iraq, um, but just this guy had such a love for the people there that that this is what they found on his person. They found this on his laptop. It says this: "When I die in the Middle East," and then he says this: "I will die." Having experienced the transformation of God's love, the transformation that it can make in a life, I will die with the love of God in my heart for Muslims. I will die knowing I have obediently followed the direction of God for me and my family. I will die seeing that as we've stepped out into the unknown, God has met us and proven himself to us in many mighty ways. I will die having the time of my life walking alongside of my wife and children. I will die living a more fulfilled life than I ever dreamed I could live. I will die understanding that there's no difference between my heart and the heart of a terrorist. It was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. The heart of a terrorist who needs to be redeemed from his wickedness is no different than the heart of a little Baptist boy who needs to be redeemed from his so-called goodness. All sheep need a shepherd because without him, there's no end to how far we as sheep would wander. I will die believing that no one is beyond the saving reach of a seeking savior. I will die with a broken heart, both over the lack of compassion of God's people towards Muslims and over the inaction of God's people to obediently advance the gospel in lands under the shadow of the crescent. I will die knowing that I have cast my lot in the greatest cause for which one can spend their life, making great the name of God among people who have never heard the good news of the gospel. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Is what they found on this guy's computer. And it's just like, man, agape love makes you do insane things. And it gives you freedom and it gives you power and it gives you like, like, why? Because I'm walking in step with the spirit. Stephen be the first one to tell you I'm not that good. Matter of fact, he writes that in this. He's like, it's God in me. And I know how much I'm loved. And out of the overflow of what God's doing in my life, man, I just want to be that to other people. I want to serve other people. I want to love other people well. But I got to lay down my agenda. I got to lay down my offense. I got to extend forgiveness. I got to be patient. I got to be kind. I can't be self-seeking. I got to serve. Say, it's hard. I know. It's impossible for you to do it in your own strength. You cannot love people the way that God calls us to outside of God doing it in you. He can only do it. Again, fruits of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, you do a work in my life. You transform me from the inside out. And that's a bold, dangerous prayer. That's the only way. That's the only way. And so I'm going to read this passage. This is Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. It says, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul, same guy who gives us Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians 13. I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power 
together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You know, the difference between someone who's more mature in Christ and the person who's a new believer, maybe less mature, maybe unbelieving is just an acknowledgement and a realization of the love of God. That is it. That's it. Every other, you want joy, you want peace, you want patience. You can't have it without love. Can't get there until you realize how much God loves you. And once you realize that, you begin to change the way that you think about love. It's no longer, hey, you did that to me, and now I've got to return. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, un, agape love is unconditional love. It's just, I love you. It's like, yeah, but they said that. I still love you. I still serve you. I still like, this is the way that the world thinks about love. This is it's sad, but this is where we're at. The world's love looks like this. I made a decision to love you, but it will be within the limitations of how I feel combined with what circumstances will allow. I hope to be able to passionately love you, but it's going to depend on if I can keep a positive feeling towards you. And if you keep doing well, really dependent on you, I commit to love you, but I want I want to know that you're going to, I I want you to know that you're going to pay if you do me wrong and I'm not going to let you take advantage of me and I will do good or bad to you according to what you deserve based on what you did to me. That's the world's idea of love. And that's why, and, and then God's love looks like this. This is God's love. He says, it says this, I've made a decision to do what's best for you, regardless of my emotions or circumstances. Matter of fact, while you were at your worst, I laid my life down. I have chosen to passionately love you and it isn't based on how I feel about you or how you are performing. I will always endeavor to love you and others with God's love and respond to your failures and the failures of others with a Christ-like and redemptive manner. That is the call and it's a high call. And we read that and go, man, that is powerful. It is powerful. And that like, if you're like me, you are, I am overwhelmed by the definition of first Corinthians 13. I am. And I don't always navigate it correctly. And when I do, guess what? It's a realization of how much God loves me. And I'm walking in step with the spirit. So if you want to grow and you want to cultivate love in your life, you got to start there. You got to start there. Hey, I'm struggling with loving other people. It's not about the people around you. It's not about the offense. It's not about the hurt. It's not about what they said. It's not about what they did. It's about God. And you can be given over to an incredible, like a crazy love um, for even people who would want to kill you. It, it makes no sense. And, and, and it's, but this is what God's, I, this is what's on, uh, this is what God offers to us and we can grab hold of it. And Paul gives us in Galatians five men, but this is just jumping off point, but every single week, more application for how we can cultivate what God wants to do in us. So he can continue to do a great work through us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for the way you love us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for um, Holy spirit for doing an incredible work in people's lives and just stirring our faith uh, to the place that we actually trust you at your word. And so, so grateful for truth. So grateful that we, as we gather today, we're able to worship you, shift our perspective, give us over to more, help us not to settle, but also help us not to do things in our own strength or thinking wrongly about what it means to follow you. It's not about keeping rules. It's not about jumping through hoops. It's not about obligation or duty. It's only about realizing how much we're loved. 
And God, thank you so much that you made love manifest in the person of Christ, that you came. And we celebrate that in this season. But not only did you come, but you showed us how to love, how to lead, how to live. You performed miracles and signs and wonders. You healed. You experienced everything that we experience as humanity. All of the temptations, all of the the physical abuse, all of the neglect, all the things that you experienced, God. Even death on a cross. Why? Because you so loved us. So Holy Spirit, more than ever before, would you make us mindful of that love in this season? Would you equip us and empower us to love the people around us better by realizing how much we're loved? God, as we draw close to you, as we spend time, as we remind ourselves, get to know you again. For those of us who have drifted, build that relationship back, replace you, put you back in the place that you belong first in our lives, every area that you would do a great work in our hearts and just give us over to a great strength and power to love and serve people. If you're here and you struggle, you're just struggling. Um, there's someone in your, there's someone in your life that's just been hard to love in this season. And it could be someone in your immediate family could be a kid that's gone away and doesn't want to have anything to do with you. It could be a parent who hurt you, could be a spouse, could be someone in a dating relationship, whoever, you know what it is. If there's someone that's just been hard to love in this season and you'd be honest with yourself, be honest with God, would you do me a favor? Just out of, just, would you just lift your hand in the room and say, there's people in my life that's just been hard to love in this season? Yeah. Now pray this prayer, say, Jesus, would you give me what I don't have in my own strength, the ability to love people the way you call me to? Would you remind me how dependent I am on you? That you're the vine and I'm just an extension of what you're doing in my life. If something good comes out of it, God, it comes from you. So help, help me to have that supernatural love that we've talked about today, that agape love for the people in my life, even when and especially when they don't deserve it. That's how you love me. Remind me of the gospel. Remind me of your goodness and your love for me. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, You've never really experienced the love that God has for you. And you've just been operating in your own strength, super frustrated and trying to follow God or have a relationship with him in your own strength. Let me free you up. You can't do it. No one can. The same God that saves you is the same one that sanctifies you. But if you're here today, you got to start there. I need to be born again so that I can know him, so that I can be in a relationship. If you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you want that today, I would love to lead you in a prayer. I'd also love to give you the opportunity to confess him as Lord, right where you're sitting with all of our heads bowed and eyes closed. Would, just, would you just lift your hand and say, that's me. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to experience the love that he has for me. I want to be an extension of the love that God has for me to the people around me. That's for me. Amen. Yeah. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. I'm so sorry I made it about myself. So sorry I missed and I've just been distracted. But today, man, I'm just experiencing feeling, understanding on faith for the first time ever, the way that you love me. It's by grace that you save me. Nothing I bring to the table and through faith in you, God, would you just transform me? Would you help me to become who it is that you want me to become? It's a process. I want to walk in step with the spirit 
But God, do in my life what I can't do in my own strength. Thank you for being me, for loving me, for never leaving me. For never leaving me. God, grateful for what you're going to do in and through this season. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.